Hello and welcome back to another episode of Going Rounds, the official podcast of Gusto, a matter company. I'm Jeanette Harris-Quartz, podcast producer here at Gusto and the host of this very podcast. Today, we've got a special Going Rounds episode for you, where we get to talk to one of our favorites, Trent Toner. Now, Trent Toner isn't technically a part of the Gusto team, but we love him just like our own. Trent is what we call in the biz an audio engineer, and we get to talk to him a little bit more about what that means, how he helps us, and what the past, present, and future of audio will look like. All that and more after the break. Thanks, Jeanette. It's Beth York, one of the podcast uh, members here. And I've got Mandy, one of our audio editors, who's a genius with us today. Hey, Mandy. Hi, Beth. How are you? We've got a very special guest uh, with us today, Mandy. Trent is a lifesaver. Let's kick it over to Trent. Uh, Trent, tell us your involvement here with the Gusto team and what you do. Yes, yeah, I'm uh, 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 an, an audio post engineer by trade, uh, and I've been working with uh, you wonderful people over at Gusto for for God six or seven years now. And uh, initially, starting off, you know, doing sound design, and and um, uh, in one case, uh, even recorded uh, a, a jingle for a, a video for you guys. Um, and, uh, and, and morphed over into audio cleanup and, um, um, just, you know, putting large format stuff together. A lot of which is, is wonderfully put together by Mandy. And then I'm just come in with a can of shoe shine and just put a little polish on it. But, um, it's, uh, it's always great to work with you guys. I like how you say put a little shoe shine on it. Mandy, what, what does he mean by a little shoe shine? <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes we end up working with some audio that's not necessarily the prettiest. And sometimes we need some really nice sound design and that's where Trent comes in. He comes in to clean everything up and make everything sound beautiful and always does such a great job. Yeah. I think, I think it's one step that, um, you know, everyone's doing a podcast these days. I think it's a step Mm -hmm. that people don't often do Trent, like this final mix, you know, in video, we call it mix to picks and the final sound. Um, so tell us a little bit about that process. When you come in, we give you a, in the podcast world, we give you a podcast that the story's nailed down. It might need some, you know, sound design. But tell me what what you do when you take it from us. Yeah, it's um, you know, there's a bunch of elements to it. Usually, the first element when I get get something from you guys is I look at the dialogue, uh, the audio that's in it, and it typically starts with taking, um, uh, you know, typically with a podcast, there's going to be three or four different people in it. Uh, they're all going to have been recorded in different locations. A lot of times, especially these days remotely like this, sometimes in studio. Uh, and so the first thing I go through is I look at all the audio and I decide, um, uh, and you know, these are internal terms that certainly isn't an industry term, but I just, I, I find a, a, I'll call it a keyframe one where I was like, all right, this is the one that I think represents this, this dialogue track represents the best of what's in this podcast. And so now I then approach each additional one. Maybe one was recorded on somebody's, you know, in their home with a bunch of echo in it. And uh, I'm trying to get the rest of them as closely as possible to sound like they were recorded in the same location as the the original dialogue track uh, or the, the key one that I've decided on. So then uh, initially, I usually go in, if there's any kind of room echo, I'll go in with tools and to pull the room reverb out of that so it doesn't sound like they're in a shower 
power stall. Um, and that's one of the trickier parts of this. There's a lot of automatic tools for a lot of this stuff, but typically you don't get great results. It usually works a lot better when you go in and really spend some time finding where the issues are and going through the individual settings. But you try to get everybody to sound like they're in the same room. And also part of that is occasionally adding a little room back on the cleanest one. You know, part of getting everything to sound like it was done together isn't just cleaning up the bad stuff. Sometimes it's putting a little bit, uh, just a little bit of the bad in the good to make it sound like they're all in the same place. So I'll remove as much of the bad stuff as I can. I'll occasionally put a little bit in on the good stuff to put it together. And then you want to put EQ in. Uh, if there's background noise, there's a lot of tools now to go in and pull that out. And then you want to just adjust EQ and try and get everybody to sound like they're in the same place as much as possible. Um, once that's done, then it's about going in and then setting music levels, uh, and getting everything placed to where it wants to be. And then going in and sound designing. And, and a lot of times if you're pulling sound design elements, you want to go in and what is the topic of this podcast? And that's going to maybe favor what sound effects and what sound design you then go into. And I know Amandy does a lot of this very well. Um, also, but you go in and, you know, I call it a sonic palette and I decide on what the sonic palette is going to be, not just for a, this podcast, but anything that I do, what does this feel like it needs? Do I want the whooshes to be more aggressive? Do I want them to be gentler? Um, and you just go in and then you kind of create a picture of what these sound effects are going to mix in with this thing. And then the last step is to mix it. It's just, a, and then that's just balancing the levels, making sure things don't fight um, with each other and nothing stands out more than the rest. And then just having it a smooth experience from, and especially on a podcast, a lot of which can be 30, 40, 50 minutes. You want it to be a smooth journey all the way through. So you've got to go back and make sure everything is in a nice relationship with the rest of it. Yeah. I had a friend who was a lighting uh, director and this, I think this applies to audio as well, is that no one really says, great job. They just know when it's a bad job, right? Like they just know when That's the lighting is bad. So no one's like, great job on the audio. It just sounds the way it should sound. And it, what you're describing is a lot of surgery to yep. make it sound how it should sound. That's a hundred percent right. It's, you know, it's one of those things. There are uh, unique uh, pieces where the sound design is what you want front and center, that amazing immersive experience we did with you guys. That was, oh God, that was one of the favorite projects I've ever worked on. That was incredible. Where that yeah, was, that was it was kind of all about the sounds and the visuals, but especially in something like a podcast and even getting into TV commercials and, and videos and all of that stuff, I'm just there to help tell the story. Uh, and, you know, and that's something, you know, I see a lot of as I watch other people's work, I see, you know, people get in the way a little bit and I'm not here to get in the way. I'm not, uh, you know, on those kind of projects, especially podcasts, it's not about anything that I'm doing. It's about making sure you get across the point of what you're trying to say in that podcast. And I'm just there to help tell that story in the background. Yeah. You really helped clean up one of my cackles. I think in one of those, I was like, <laughs> 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 I'm I pretty had, sure. I, I, there was a video I did where they had a, somebody on camera and they recorded them in a forest and there was birds just going. There was one bird on a tree, probably right off ledge, just every five seconds, just going. The tools now are incredible. You can go in, uh, you can go in and it's like Photoshop where I can, you know, look at a histogram and I can paint out the birds. And so I spent like four hours de-birding this, uh, this VO track in this video. 
And it turned out great, and you couldn't tell they were ever in there. So just what we what we can do now is just it's absolutely crazy. But then they probably the producers like, oh, we'll fix it in post, and they'd be like, where are the birds? Right, like, because the bird wasn't on cue. You had to like bring the birds back in at the right time. Not, like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, or yeah, I'd be that pain way. in the ass producer. Just so you yeah. know, that'd be or, me. A great job taking the birds out, and then all of a sudden you get into a situation where now they think you can do everything, and you absolutely cannot. And uh, so now then they think, oh, yeah, he'll fix it the next time. And then it's be like, guys, this is too much. We can't do this one. And uh, the tools are getting better and better, but they're not they're, they're not everything yet. So you're talking about some of the tools that you're you, – can you talk about some of the tools that you yeah, use? Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, probably one of the industry standards is a product called uh, Isotope RX-10 Advanced. Uh, it's one that I use a lot, and that's the one that I was referring to where you can actually not just look at the waveform, but they actually put up a, a – I'll call it a histogram. They actually put up a histogram um, where it's a kind of a heat map where the high frequencies are at the top, the lower at the bottom, and then how loud the sound is is how bright it is within that image. And so if you're looking at it and listening to it, and let's use the birds as an example, there's a loud bird cry. You can, as you listen to it, watch it play down the timeline, you can actually see that little spot where it gets really bright right as that sound is so you know that's where the bird is and then you can go out and then literally use a tool and paint it out of there now it works great for those kind of things that have a limited frequency band the promise problem is is when you get into things that have a broader frequency spread like a, a, a like a, a loud car engine where there's low end and there's high clicks and all that where it's broad then to paint that out you're also having to get rid of it, it's it's you're removing those frequencies when you do it. And so if you've got a broad area and you have to remove too many frequencies to get rid of it, then I'm also going to be removing parts of the voice and all of that. And then now the voice is going to sound weird with it's gone. So like with everything, the tools have its limitations. So you've got those. Um, uh, and then, you know, there's the old fashioned noise reduction where you take a selection of the noise, it learns it, and then it tries to remove it from the audio and leaving in the other parts. Uh, that's kind of the older style. And then now you have the new AI ones, which are absolutely incredible. Um, and uh, especially for the noise reduction, it's, it's, it's one of those things as an engineer, I actually just uh, uh, posted an article about my love hate relationship with technology um, because you have these great new AI tools where you can literally just throw a plug in on a track and turn a knob to remove as much noise as you want. And it figures out what's noise and what's not and leaves the voice alone. And again, if there's too much noise, it's not perfect, but it makes it a lot easier. And as, as somebody who views what they do as an art or a craft, you know, I take a lot of pride in being able to go in and nuance this stuff and all that. And now all of a sudden here's this big new tool with a big knob and a button on it. Uh, and it goes in and does what I, you know, spent the last five years becoming really good at. So there's that, you know, it's great that it saves me a lot of time to do it, but at the same time, it's like, man, I spent all this time learning how to do all this stuff. And now these things are coming in where you don't even have to think about it. And so it's that, that, that balance between the two, but in general, um, it's about knowing what tools to use and how to use them correctly. And so even though these things come in that make it easier, you still get people that think they know what they're doing that don't that come in and misuse them. And you can still get better results by knowing how much and when to apply them properly. Yeah, I think that sensibility is what you gain with experience versus yep. relying on a tool. You know, I came from, you know, three quarter inch deck to deck editing, you know, and when we had, you know, nonlinear editing, like that's amazing. Yep. And um, I think that judicious use of any type of a plugin, right? Like, you know, 
don't use don't oh, use yeah. a circle wipe just because you can. I mean, you know. Yep. So. <laughs> <laughs> star wipe star wipe yeah you know um yep. picture in picture ooh cool um so yeah i think that that's a really important thing and how we adapt those tools because you can't really um the craft of audio craft is really kind of a a unique thing so why don't we dig into a little bit about that like the the mm-hmm. the craft you know how you got into the craft you know your challenges how did you get to where Absolutely. you are yeah, no. So um, I'll go back. I was uh, I'm a musician. Uh, I've played guitar since I was in middle school. Uh, you know, I was in bands in high school and college and all that. And I initially had one. I'm, I'm a nerd, um, uh, which I think a lot of us in this industry are. We are. And we are. Um, I went to college initially for computer science, but I was also in a band. And I we would go and we play and we'd go into recording studios and record music. And I really, really fell in love with it. And then, um, you know, after school I went to work and I was, but I was also still in this band and it just, it was really my passion. And so we kind of put the focus on, you know, a, doing music and kind of made that a goal, you know, basically wanted to be a rock star and gave it, you know, spent five years doing that. And at the end of that time, it was, that wasn't going to happen. And now it was, I need a career. And I had just absolutely head over heels. And with audio, we built a a recording studio in the basement of the house that I lived in. I was self-taught on a bunch of stuff. And, you know, when you're at it, I think I was 26, 27 at that time. And it's like, you know, I'm not married. I don't have kids yet. You're at that, that, that moment in your life. There's a, a, I'm a huge Rush fan. I'm going to nerd out, but Rush has a line in one of their songs that says you're only immortal for a limited time. And that was kind of like a beacon to me. It's like, what other time in my life am I not going to have any other responsibilities other than myself? I'm going to do it. And so I found a great school in Florida called Full Sail University. It was just a trade school. I went and got a two-year degree in sound engineering and acoustics. Uh, and then that segued into this. And initially when I graduated, it was, it was, it was hard getting into the business. This is not a field that there is just tons of openings. It's one of those things that a lot of people want to do and there's not a lot of openings. And I didn't get a job right away. I interviewed at a bunch of places and wound up because I was at this point going to be getting married soon. Um, got a job at a company designing home theaters because I had acoustic background and all that with the education and all that stuff and did that for a year. And then one of the places that I had interviewed in a year before, I got a call from them on my cell phone one day and they said, listen, we weren't in a hurry. We've interviewed a bunch of people. Um, I had been turned down initially because I didn't have enough experience. And that was a very common thing. You know, we're not the place, you know, I was told to go intern at radio stations and do all that, which is a wonderful way to do it. But I had at that point, after two years of school and a a wedding coming up, I needed money and interning somewhere was not in my cards. So I took the home theater job, but one of the studios that I had uh, applied for said, you know, we haven't hired anybody for this yet. We've interviewed a bunch of people. And to be honest, we liked you. And we don't know if you can do it. We think that you can, but are you willing to come on part-time and prove to us you can? And so I got hired hourly for three months and then they hired me. And then that turned into 16 years for working for other people and then doing this. And then seven years ago, finding my uh, partner, Katie, who I uh, co-own this company with, uh, and we started our own company and it's, it's been amazing. So it was, you know, it was, it's, it's, you know, just having a desire, getting the proper education and then throwing yourself into it and applying. And, um, and so that's, that's kind of how I got into it. And, you know, you start off and, you know, I, you talk about, you know, you know, three quarter inch tape, you know, I used to deliver, I was cutting radio spots, 
you know, and we are at the end of the day, we're rolling off reel to reel tapes and putting them in boxes and sticking FedEx labels on them to send radio commercials to radio stations all over the country. And, you know, now you just email an MP3 at the end of the day. It's, it's, it's crazy how much of all that's changed, but you know, you stay with it and that's where it helps being a nerd and having a computer background. You can stay current, you know, in my downtime, I enjoy going on to blogs and finding out what technology is new and trying out. And you just make sure you stay relevant with everything going on now. So then you can be the old guy in the club and still hang with the young kids. Yeah. Never stop learning. <laughs> no, that is correct. No. Yeah, seriously. You'll get far, so far behind if you don't, you know, continue to do that. The um, you know what you said there too like about home theater and I think that not only has the evolution of sound um it's come out of a home theater and into our headphones, right? So in the studio when I learned to record um and I have a very small background, but it was like, okay, well, you need to listen to this through speakers. You can't listen to this through headphones. How has that affected your process, knowing where the audio finished piece is going to live? Do you do something different if you know it's going to be something that's going to be consumed in headphones versus something that's going to be played like over a home system? I, I do, but it's at the end. My, my workflow doesn't change. That gets into an area called mastering um, um, that I'll jump on in a second. But you know, my, my workflow, I have, I, I'm old school. You know, I've been doing this for 23, 24 years. You know, I, I do everything on the, the, the monitor speakers in the control room and do all of that. And then there are things that you do for different deliverables. Um, and if I know something's going to be primarily listened on headphones, um, then you, you, you get it to where I want it on the speakers. And then I throw on the headphones and I sit there and I listen to it and I'll make changes based on the environment. Um, you know, something that's going to be played in a large hall, you want to make the voice hotter, you know, because it's, you've got to fight all of the people in there and all of that stuff. And the, the more, the important parts of the message. Um, and that also plays a role into it too, is what is the goal of this thing? If it's to deliver a message, then you're going to want to be focused on the dialogue more than the sound. Um, but if it's an experience, then you want to pay more attention to the sound maybe than the dialogue. So it just depends on where it's going, but the process from start all the way up until, all right, what format is this going to be consumed in? I don't do anything different than I've been doing for all these years, but then I'll take the last step and then master it so that it works best on that, uh, way of consuming it. You know, I've, I've actually been really curious, just like what a day in a life of an audio engineer, like from start to finish is like, what's your typical day look like? You know, it's fun. It's it's a lot more. You know, it's one of those things that you know you tell people what you do, and they're like, "Oh my god, that's so cool!" And, and like anything, it 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 is filled with mostly mundane parts with moments of awesomeness. Uh, we're on the East Coast. We're based in Virginia, um, and we've got studios in Virginia Beach and Richmond. Um, but a lot of our clients are West Coast, and we have a lot of clients in Europe that we deal with that are five hours ahead of us. Uh, you know, and and. You know, I'm one of those guys. I'll, I'll, I keep an eye on my phone to make sure nothing in flames is coming in after hours. But you know, it, it's when you get to be in your, your, you know, your late 40s, the work-life balance thing is a thing, and so you, you want to make sure you handle everything that you've got, but you figure out what can deal with in the morning. So my first part of my day is coming in, making coffee like everybody else, and then going through my email and um, uh, figuring out what needs to get handled right away and and what can be to to be moved on later, um, and then you know, then there's the audio work that's on the books and we'll go in and, you know, if I've got a session coming up, it's, if it's a VO recording session, you know, then, you know, 
we do that in different ways. We have actors that come in. We have you know home studios now because of COVID are probably 90% of how we, re- we record people, but the technology is so great that it's totally fine. And it's not, you know, it's not the worry that it was, you know, 10 years ago. And so you get prepped up. And then one of my favorite things is working with actors live. It's a personal interaction like we're doing now. And, you know, when we find good people, we continue to work with them. And so we've got great people that we enjoy working with that we get to do it with. If it's a sound design piece where I'm going to have to be creating sounds for things that are happening in that video, uh, I do what's called a spot sheet. And I go in and I make, all right, I need a sound for this at this point and this for this point. And I make a list of the sounds that I need to find. And then that's what I get into what I was talking about with the palette. Now it's about sitting with the project and looking at it and deciding what it needs to feel like. Um, one of the things that I try to do with anything that I'm doing sound design for is I, is I work off of emotion, uh, and it's about finding what the emotion of this piece is. And that's going to be what the palette I create is of those sounds that I pull and I go through and I do a bulk pull of things that I think are going to work well. Uh, and then I start bringing them in and seeing what's works with what's going on and what doesn't. Um, and then once that project is done, then it's, you know, it's, it's set up, it's delivered to the client, and then you wait for feedback. You'll usually go on and move on to either another project that you've also got going on uh, or jump back into the emails that you've got or figuring out what's going to be coming up in the next coming days. And then you wait and hear back from your client. No, we need to change this or this. And you go and you make those changes. And then, you know, then finally, at the end of the day, you send out deliverables. Um, and then there are other days, you know, where Virginia Beach isn't exactly the celebrity mecca, but there's a couple of that live around here. And and one of the things that happened in COVID um, was, you know, coming into studios initially wasn't the thing. So, you know, we've got actors here that I'll go to their homes and record it for projects rather than come into the studio. Um, so it's, you know, it's a lot of different stuff. It's wonderful because it definitely is not a lot of monotony. It's all kinds of cool stuff, but then a lot of it is just going through emails, talking to clients on the phone where, you know, a small, you know, smallish company, uh, we're trying to grow as like everybody is. So then there's, you know, sending emails and doing outreach and, and, and doing all that stuff. So it's a bunch of different stuff. Sound design is the, is, is creating sound for, for visuals. It's, um, you know, it's creating sound for things that don't already have one. Um, a perfect example, I, I mixed the sound for a, a video game uh, trailer years ago. And in this video ga- game, it was a guy wearing a giant mechanized suit walking down a metal hallway. And because it's created for a video game, I got a empty video. I got a, a, a beautiful, gorgeous minute and a half long or one minute long video that was amazingly crafted by these animators, but there is absolutely zero sound, period, none. And so then, you know, the opening shot was this guy in this metal suit walking down this hallway. And so what do those footsteps sound like? Is He's a metal suit on a metal grate. So I've got, but this thing's going to weigh a hundred pounds. So I've got to, I started with, um, I found a sound of um, uh, a library sound. We have sound effects libraries that you can go through and type in footsteps. And it was somebody walking on a metal grate. So you had that metal element, but this guy's in a big heavy suit. So I went and I pulled the sound of a mortar, the, the military mortar cannon shooting. And it's this really loud, percussive, deep sound. And I mixed that with this sound of this metal footstep and layered those two together with a couple of other things so that you felt the weight of the suit, but could also identify that he was stepping on metal as he was walking down the hall. Um, so that's one element of it is, is creating the sounds that match the visual events that are happening. Um, another one is, um, motion graphics videos where things are sliding across the screen and where things are moving. And if, 
you feel like those are something that needs sound elements designed. You know, going back to when I was talking about sonic palettes, is it a techie thing? Do I want things that have tech? Um, uh, what's the right word I'm looking for? Like garbled noises or kind of metallic sounds that are mixed in with the whooshes, or do you want things that are organic? If it's you know, if it's a uh, uh, lots of trees and leaves blowing across and you've got a leaf swinging across the screen. You want to find something that's got more air and more presence to it rather than something that's more technical. So it's making decisions based on what's happening on screen that you're creating a sound for. It's finding the things that serve that image the best because ultimately that's what the job of a sound designer is, is to reinforce the vision of someone creating this project. And specifically with sound design, it's it's creating sounds that aren't there yet. And then the goal of is to serve the work. I'm not the guy that writes the scripts. I'm not the guy that's telling the story. I'm the guy that's there to serve the story. And so um, I'm here to find the best way through sounds to do it, whether it be sounds from a library, whether it be Foley. I had a video years ago. Somebody found stock footage. There was a commercial about going on vacation and they bought stock footage of a guy taking a a uh, baseball bat to a copier in an office. And then the tagline popped up, need to get away kind of a thing, but it was just stock footage. There was no sound. We want, we had an old broken printer in the office and we took that thing into a booth and a guy got in a booth and I sat in the control room and we went, took that baseball bat, spent a half an hour destroying a, a printer in a booth with a microphone on it. So that I could then move those into this video and match them up to this guy doing the same thing. And um, so it's the simple definition is creating sound where there is none. The artistic side of it is finding the right sounds, creating the right noises, whether it's through libraries or Foley, which is creating them yourself um, to, to, to get the picture there to ultimately serve the story the best it needs to be told. Uh, radio spots was probably 90% of what I did 25, 23 years ago when I started, started in this business and I maybe do four a year now. And a lot of that's because these days the technology is advanced enough that the stations just knock them out themselves and they don't need specialized folks to do them. But, uh, a couple of weeks ago I did some really fun character driven radio spots with several different actors on it and the sound telling a story. And I remembered how much I enjoyed that because there wasn't a visual tied to it. And because of that, you kind of have to take it a little further than you would if you were matching a video and it's okay to take it a little further. It's almost like a play in that way because you're having to do more with less. And so, you know, like a play, you don't have special effects and the sound uh, for a radio spot. I don't have the visuals and I really enjoyed it. And I reminded, was reminded of how much I, I enjoyed just really having nothing and just really getting to use only my own imagination to create it. So that's probably the, the short answer. That being said, um, um, I do also enjoy animated videos and creating real world sounds for those. There's the, the abstract, the whooshes and stuff, which is, is great, but I love creating real world sounds in an animated environment and tweaking those to match going it. I also enjoy that very much as well. But honestly, it, I really, when I was doing these spots a couple of weeks ago, it really just reminded me how much I love that art form and how much I, I miss doing it. I think that's I think that's really uh, interesting. Breaking copy machines, uh, smashing oh, things. Yes. Um, Jealous. I know. I know. Talk about work <laughs> yeah, therapy. Just, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Definitely done a few of those things. Um, yeah, we had a guy one time. There was a, a, a commercial with a guy walking into a car dealership wearing flippers, and he was supposed to be soaking wet. 
And so we actually, somebody had flippers at home and we went to the bathroom at the studio and we're banging the flippers on the ground with water on them and record it to get the sound of that to sound right. It's, um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's a lot of fun when you can get into that kind of stuff. I love it. Yeah. And I think like, you know, when we watch, like if you were to like watch a movie, right. And you heard like the suspense music, if you did like an AB cut of like, you know, like happy merry-go-round music versus like suspense, it's sort of like, yes, go into the woods. No, don't go into the woods. So Yes. I love the way audio can lead um, a listener or a viewer. It's so powerful, right? Absolutely. Yeah, music is is one of the most important parts of a project, and it's um, you know, and especially uh, you know when we get to work on films and those kind of things, where the sole goal of is is to set the emotion. It changes everything. You can put a track of music in and, and completely change the entire feel of a piece, you know, including things like when you record a voiceover and the clients are like, we wish the read had more energy. I can put a different track in there. And now all of a sudden it's got all the energy that that voiceover needs. Uh, it really is astounding how much music matters. And, and one of the more important parts of it is finding the right music. And whether that's custom creation or going in and going through library stuff, and it's one of those things for me that I that I pride myself on, especially as being a musician. Uh, I think that's a skill that's almost invaluable in what I do, um, uh, especially when it comes to working with music, whether it be stuff that we're creating or things that are from a library, is just knowing what instruments and what vibes are going to create the right thing. And that's also that's something that comes with experience and doing this for a long time. Um, you, you learn over time. You can watch a commercial or read a script and tell where it's going globally. And then so when I go, if they want me to, if I'm pulling music from a library, I already know where I'm going to start. And sometimes they're looking for something different, but a lot of times that's, you know, it saves time, it saves money and all that things when you can just use like, all right, I know what their feel is they're going for in this. I can see it right in the copy. Let's go ahead and pull some of these tracks and get it in there. And, but music is, is monumental to any project. Yeah. I'll say I've spent hours. Oh like, my God. Yes. Hours looking for the right song and then you'll find it. And then it won't be right like halfway through. You're like, oh man, now I got to go look for another one. Like I'll be editing oh, the, and Tim will come up behind me and be like, oh, looking for more music, huh? <laughs> like, oh man, the, that... and, and bless those libraries that have the element, the stems in them so I can go the in stems. and pull out the accordion. Yes. Why don't you put an accordion solo in the middle of a spot, piece of music <laughs> that you know is going to use under a voiceover? Are you or kidding? Like and then the not have the ability voices. to get it out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Now all the time. And, then, and you know what? And then, you know, it's, it's interesting. Then you have those days and I'm fortunate that it doesn't happen a lot, but when you're completely on a different page than a client and then how do you, you know, how do you deal with that where you've pulled 20 things that you truly believed were a home run and they didn't like any of them and it's, and this is their project. And so it's, it's, I will suggest and, and, and inform and give reasons for what I'm doing, but it's ultimately their project. And if they don't like what we're doing, then what do you do? And honestly, I've had cases where I've just pulled tracks that I'm, I don't think this is going to work at all, but what I think is going to work isn't working for them. So maybe this will, and I'll throw it in there. And all of a sudden they're like, this is great. So it's, it's a very, um, subjective thing for sure. But I think that's one of the great things about developing relationships with clients is you get to know what their ear is, and then you can serve that better by getting them something that's going to make them happy, but also is going to work best for it. You can bring those elements in by getting the right track. So you can solve both problems. You can get the client so that they are, they're in love with the piece, but you can also accomplish what the goal of the piece is. If it's an instance where those two things aren't necessarily lining up together. Then you get the ones where they've got a, a you know a forty eight second script that needs to fill sixty seconds, but they want it energetic, um, and now you've got this problem of how do I 
get this thing to fill the 60 seconds and not and still sound energetic. It is why, uh, you know, you work with really talented voice actors. You know, it's, it's not everybody can do that stuff. And it's one of those things that having been in this business for as long as I have, you know, we're able to identify that folks that can do that and work with those people. And it's about, you know, um, getting the nuances. It's understanding the language. It's being a translator. When you've got a client, I had a client one time say to me, um, that take sounded like it was written with a number two pencil. I need one that sounds like it was written with a number three pencil. And that was his overly fancy way of saying, I wanted more. I wanted it more emotion, more, you know, to push it harder. And because if you were writing with a number three pencil, it would be darker than with a number two pencil. And I, I just happened to know that. And so I was able to translate that into the talent. And then we were able to get the client happy and keep it, keep it running. So, um, you know, that's a, a big part of, of this job is having people that understand and can translate what the clients are looking for to get the best out of it, whether it in, it's in voiceovers or in sound design. It's just being able to know how they're, what they're looking for and how to find it. What advice would you say to people in the industry, like wanting to come up to be a sound engineer? I've spoken with my partner about this before, and and it's it's the you have to know the tools, you know. And, and in my case, I was fortunate that I was able to go to go to a school to learn it uh, formerly, formally. Um, but a lot of folks come up just by interning in radio stations and learning it through experience, and that's a wonderful way to do to do it too. They're both great. I think the important thing to remember is for me and how I view this business is the, the tools and the skill set to do the job are the requirement. Um, I've worked with folks that, you know, just were leaned into all the tools and all of that. And the most important of this is being somebody that people want to work with. I think that that's the thing that maybe a lot of people don't understand. And those are things, they're the non-technical side of it. There are things like being responsive. Uh, there are things like not having an ego. And there are things that not forgetting that the project that you're working on is not your project. And I'm not here to show you how many sound effects I can get into 60 seconds. I'm here to serve your story the best it possibly can. Um, and I think that's really the biggest part of this thing that I think that I certainly never thought about when I was coming up and I'm fresh out of school and I got a, you know, I, I loved my time at full sale and I, I graduated, uh, out of there. I was, I was valedictorian. I was, I was fully equipped skills wise to do this job a hundred percent, but now I had to learn how to do the job. And I think the biggest takeaway that I got, the more I learned, the more I got it is it's not as much about being able to do the job. It's about being somebody people want to work with. It's about being reliable and it's about being just a good person that does a good job. And I think that that's the biggest thing for anybody coming in is to, you know, I had a, we, you know, we used to work with interns and bring them in. And I mean, I had a guy sitting behind me, you know, asking me why I'm doing stuff and then telling me why I'm doing it wrong. And it's not to say that maybe he didn't know something I didn't know. Um, but that's not the right approach to anything. And, you know, it's, 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 it's just, it's focus on yourself, get the tools in line, be able to do the job first. That's the bare minimum. And then build from there, build your relationships with clients, build your skill set interacting with people. Um, you know, in this business, you know, I'm fortunate enough that, uh, my, my partner and I get to work with celebrities, you know, and it's, it's, it's knowing that, 
you can't ask for an autograph. You can't, you know, this isn't about getting in the photo and doing the photo op and all that stuff. It's great because most of them offer. It's, it's they're, they, you know, they're, it's people always talk about they're normal people like everybody else. The vast majority of them are, and they'll offer and then absolutely will do it. Um, but it's just being the kind of person that people want to work with is the most important part and work on yourself, your reliability, um, um, being prepared before every session, uh, whether it be recording a voice actor in, you know, in, in the studio here, uh, on the other side of the glass, whether it's, um, uh, doing ADR dialogue replacement where, you know, we're linked up digitally with another studio and I've got an actor here and we have to sync video in two different cities across the country, uh, and have it be frame accurate back in the day, you're having these ISDN lines and set an audio time code. It was crazy. It was a lot more work, but it was, have all those have all those things down and be able to do them and be comfortable with them but then just be a good person and then make sure you're somebody that people want to work with i think is really the best advice that i can give get the tools in order but make sure that you are a person think about what you're looking for uh oh then i know where i was going with that i i i try to think of everything possible that could go wrong before i go into a session and I, 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 I run through it in my head. If this happens, how am I going to fix it? And then I have things available to me to fix it. Uh, if we're, you know, recording talent remotely over source connect and that starts flaking out, what's my backup plan? Well, you know what? I'm going to have the phone patch arm there too. I'm going to make sure the talent's recording themselves on their end. So if the digital source connect link is my internet just went out, goes out. I can just immediately, without making the client wait 30 minutes for me to refigure it out and do it, I've already got the phone patch set up, ready to go. I already know the talent's recording in their studio too, as well as me here, as well as me here. So I'm like, hey, you know, Steve, all we need to do, just tell you what, I'm going to drop the Source Connect lines. I'm going to go ahead and call you on your cell phone. We can monitor the dialogue over the phone. Send me the good audio files when we're done. It's just pre-planning and all of those things is 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 just make being prepared and being a good person. I guess is the simple answer to my very long question, like they always are. I love it. Awesome. Well, thanks. We appreciate you being here today. Uh, it was my pleasure, Beth. It's and, and Mandy. It's it's uh, this has been a great conversation, and it's been wonderful getting to work with you guys over the years. And I, I really appreciate it. That's Trent Toner, everyone, CEO and senior sound designer mixer from Ryan Hunter Productions LLC. You can find them. We will put a link in our show notes. And I'm going to throw it back over to you, Jeanette. Thanks, Beth. Thanks, Mandy. That was an amazing interview with Trent. And thank you for joining us for another episode of Going Rounds. I hope you feel like you learned a little bit more about Trent Toner, his company, and that we gave you a little bit of a backstage pass to the process of engineering a podcast, which I could hear Trent talk about for hours and hours and hours. If you ever wanna get in contact with Trent or learn a little bit more about his company, you could visit him at R-I-A-N-H-U-N-T-E-R.com. And if you ever wanna to talk to Mandy or Beth or me, you could email us at hello at letsgusto.com. We can't wait to bring you more perspectives from our staff and other creatives that inspire us. Until then, bye.